The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Pros like you know trusted brands have a hand in helping you nail the job. Start with Lowe's where you'll find those brands and savings too. Stop in today and pick up a new Metabo HPT 1 and 3 quarter inch 15 degree pneumatic roofing nailer for 20 bucks less. Now $269. And get a new Dewalt Tough Grip 52 piece steel hex shank screwdriver bit set for just $14.98 saving you 5 bucks. For even more ways Lowe's saves your business money stop by the pro desk and talk to our dedicated pro team today. Whatever you need to get the job done do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 11-6 US only. Are you looking for a place to bet on the Super Bowl? You can bet the game for sure, but you can also bet every play. Bet DSI has live betting through the entire game as it is played out to the final whistle. Also, you can bet on over 500 Super Bowl prop options with special bets like coin toss result, national anthem length, team and player to score first, halftime show antics, and more. And BetDSI has been paying winners for over 20 years, and it's a top-rated betting site. BetDSI has been paying winners for over 20 years, and it's a top-rated betting site. It has very user-friendly interface. It's a mobile site, so you can use it anywhere. And it has the fastest payouts in the industry. Simply play win and get paid. BetDSI offers betting options for everything. You can bet on the Super Bowl, March Madness, NBA, NHL, UFC, and all other major sports, politics, reality TV, esports, virtually everything. So try live betting at BetDSI where you can bet on the Super Bowl through the entire game, every play, and every minute until the end. And new members get a 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's more than double your money to start winning today. Once again, go to BetDSI and use promo code TAFFER101 to get this limited-time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash on the sports you know and love. And get $25 free for just signing up, plus 101% bonus betting money on your first deposit up to $1,000. It's only a game until you bet it on BetDSI. <laughs> This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started, because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. All right, it's January 28th, and time for another installment of my No Excuses podcast. I must tell you, I'm pretty excited. I have one of my favorite reality hosts of all time to be interviewed today, Corey. Yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah, Jillian Michaels. And we're going to talk about not exercise and weight loss and all the obvious things. Jillian's been through some failure and some real transitions in her life that I think would be really meaningful for us all to hear the story. So I'm excited to have Jillian here. But before we even get going... I want to thank my sponsors because without them, we wouldn't be here at all, Corey. So MyPillow, Quicken Loans, BetDSI, Robinhood app, and True Car. Thank you all uh, for supporting this podcast and giving us an opportunity to get together every week. And before I get going, please hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts or go to PodcastOne.com or the Podcast One app, and you'll get your new podcast automatically every Tuesday. How cool is that? Well... I don't want to be political, even though I talked a little bit about dignity last week in a non-political sense and how professional politicians could get themselves into such a box where there's no bridge to the other side. And we talked last week about how, you know, if, if we don't follow certain dignity, 
and ground rules in the negotiation world, people don't sit down at the table. Nobody sits down at the table if they don't get dignity. So if the argument still goes on, the shutdown is over, and we're in now what I'm going to call maybe shutdown mode. So either they'll agree, they won't agree. I don't see a heck of a lot changing, so I'm guessing we'll probably be back in the shutdown. I see this personally as a major failure from all of our politicians because of the basic in in political activity and diplomacy is to never rob the dignity of your opponent to the degree that they won't come to the table. And that's just stupid. That just makes absolutely no sense. And that's what both sides did. And there's guilt in this. And this is a monumental political failure. And hopefully uh, uh, we get through it. But there have been failures like this in the past. And sometimes people say, oh, we got past this. You know, we've had terrible presidents. We've had great presidents. But America always survives. Well, we do, but we survive differently. I had a great story the other day I want to share with you. Many years ago, the railroad was coming through the Midwest, Corey. And when the railroad guys were working in the Midwest, they were determining if they were going to put all of the big stations in Chicago or St. Louis. So they went to the mayor of Chicago, and they tried to negotiate a financial deal for the trains to all go through Chicago, and he negotiated and gave them a pretty good deal. And then they went down to St. Louis, not too far away, and they negotiated a deal with the mayor of St. Louis to bring the railroad to St. Louis. And the mayor of St. Louis said, we don't need the frickin' railroad, man. We got the river. We got the Mississippi River. We don't need the railroad. Well, that one decision made Chicago the size that it is. And St. Louis decides that it is. So these political decisions do matter. They impact cities, the size of economies, who goes to work, who doesn't, what industries get subsidized and get research to move forward. These are big deals. And when our politicians put themselves in a box, we should all say, come on, you should know better than that. So I wanted to talk a little bit today about success and failure as we watch them all fail and hopefully figure out a way to recover, what are some of the greatest successes and failures in business, not in politics? And, you know, does bad strategy, bad timing, do these things always equal bad results? And, you know, is there a chance for our politicians to recover? Well, I was looking online, and I was thinking, of what are the biggest mistakes that have been made in business? And there's a lot of them. The, the mistake of, of St. Louis to turn down the railroad was a really stupid one. New York City made a terrible mistake when it let the New York Giants and the New York Dodgers go to California. That was a famous municipal yeah. mistake. So these things happen all the time. And when we take a look at one of the biggest mistakes that have happened in business, some of them are actually monumental. And I want to tell you an interesting story, Corey. Years ago, when I first started my consulting business, I got to sign a contract with a major hotel corporation. And here I am. I'm a little independent guy with a small consulting company, and now I got a contract with a Fortune 500 company, more like a Fortune 100 company. Wow. I figured they're going to have their shit together, right? They're going to really know what they're doing. They're going to be tight. They're going to be organized. It was a complete freaking mess. I couldn't get over the mistakes and how disorganized and ineffective the big company was. Then a couple of years later, I got to be partners with a major film studio. And I would drive through the gate in Hollywood, and it's historic. And I'd think to myself, wow, this is so exciting. I'm going to really see how to do this right. And these guys were so screwed up, I couldn't believe it, with turnover and people not doing their jobs. And, and I realized years ago, the big guys are no freaking better at this than the small guys are. 
They make the same mistakes, the same failures. And I wanted to prove it and look up at a couple because we make mistakes. And Jillian and I are going to talk later about some mistakes that she made in her life. But she got up and she recovered. And, you know, to think that these huge corporations make no mistakes and that they're flawless is just absurd. So I wanted to just share a couple of unbelievable corporate mistakes with you so that we all realize that our politicians, our corporate leaders, all of these figureheads are not always right. And we shouldn't assume they're right. We should question so Excite, you guys used to remember, Excite was the number two search engine in the world. And Excite could have bought Google. You ready for this, Corey? Yeah. For 750 grand. Oh. And they turned it down. Google now is worth over $130 billion. They turned it down. That was a good deal. For seven, Daimler-Benz, Mercedes, great company, right? Incredible brand. Bought Chrysler uh, 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 for $30.7 billion. And sold it uh, 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 three years, four years later, and lost seven, uh, lost twenty billion. They sold it for seven point four billion. Lost twenty billion dollars. Wow! When you think of a camera company that doesn't exist anymore, Corey, does anyone come to mind? Uh, I can't say no. How about Kodak? Remember that orange company? Everything. Oh yeah. Kodak Brownie camera and Kodak cameras. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kodak cameras are gone, which is incredible because they disappeared to what? Digital cameras, right? Right. Well, yeah, you'd think that they would you know, catch on to the curve. Well, you know what's unbelievable? You know who invented the digital camera? Who? Kodak. What? So they invented the damn thing, and then they completely blew it. Wow. Kodak had the first digital camera back in 1977. So they had the technology, but they completely blew it. News Corp. Here's a great one for you. News Corp who uh, owns Fox and Fox Business, Fox News, a bunch of newspapers and other media outlets. They bought MySpace years ago. Remember MySpace, Corey? Oh, yeah, I was big on MySpace. So they actually went and they bought MySpace for $580 million. Wow. But they managed it terribly, and they had a few years that were bad, and it was estimated in 2008 to be worth $12 billion. So they were looking pretty good. Oh, yeah. MySpace was the biggest thing. Everybody had one of those. So News Corp, who bought MySpace for $580 million, brought it up to $12 billion in value, wound up selling it for $35 million. Jeez. So they lost roughly $525 million. How about Blockbuster? Remember them? Yeah, very vaguely. So they had video stores on every corner, Corey, and you could go in there and there was a video store rental. And in the early days, before you could download your films, and Netflix or any of those existed, you would go to Blockbuster, you'd have your membership card, and you'd take home a few videos, and you'd watch those VHS videos at home, and then you'd bring them back to the store, much like a library, turn them in and watch more. And Blockbuster was the king of home video rental. Blockbuster had multiple offers to buy Netflix they could have bought Netflix for very little money. Really? But they didn't see the vision. So they turned it down. Netflix took over streaming services, and streaming services eliminated what? All video rental stores. Yeah. And they could have owned it all, but they blew it. So so a Quaker is a great one. Quaker Oats is a big food company, a Quaker company. And years ago when Snapple took off, they thought it would be amazing. They're going to buy Snapple. 
It was a huge hit at retailers. So they paid $1.7 billion for Snapple. $1.7 billion. Wow. And then within no time, Coca-Cola introduced Fruitopia, Sobe came about, and all the other premium drinks came about. So in the end, Quaker sold Snapple for $300 million, and they had bought it for $1.7 billion. <laughs> Three Ouch. years later, Triac, who bought it from them, sold it for $1.43 billion. So Quaker blew it. They bought it for $1.7 billion, sold it for $300 million. Three years later, the company they sold it to for $300 million sold it for $1.43 billion. Touche, Quaker. That's about as bad management and decision-making as you can possibly make. And they're supposed to be the big boys? <laughs> they're supposed to be the ones who know what they're doing. So you know what? Mistakes are a large part of life, and it isn't the mistake that we make. It's the recovering of those mistakes. And, you know, there are companies that are hugely successful, and then there are people who have had unbelievable mistakes. I'm talking screw-ups past what you would believe. So I thought to myself, wouldn't it be interesting to look at the biggest failures in history? People. The world's most famous failures. So I looked them up, and they blew me away. Because the world's most famous failures are also the world's most famous successes. I know that sounds unbelievable, but let me give you an example. The number one most famous failure is Abraham Lincoln. Oh, okay. Abraham Lincoln is famously known for being the 16th president of the United States. He was a champion of equal rights, and he blazed towards freedom and slaves in America. But he didn't start out so easy. When he was 23 years old, he lost his job. At the same time, he lost his bid for state legislature. Three years later, at the age of 26, he lost his wife, Ann Rutledge. She died. Another three years later, he lost his bid to become Speaker of the Illinois House of Representatives. After losing all that much in 1848 at the age of 39 years old, he failed and lost his bid to become Commissioner of the General Land Office in D.C. Ten years after that, at the age of 49 years old, he was defeated in his quest to become a U.S. Senator. So through all of these failures, failure after failure after failure, in 1846, he was elected to the House of Representatives. And then, of course, the rest became history. Abraham Lincoln was an immense failure for many, many years before he became Abraham Lincoln. There's a lesson to be learned in that. How about Albert Einstein? Was the man we know was one of the most brilliant minds that ever lived? At the age of 16, he failed to pass his entrance into the Swiss Polytechnic School located in Zurich. He didn't graduate, he struggled, and nearly dropped out doing incredibly poor. He, he was in such dire straits that at the time of his father's death, he considered his son to be a, his father considered his son to be a major failure, with left, which left Einstein completely heartbroken. He ended up taking a job as an insurance salesman, and he went door-to-door -to, -door to sell insurance. Two years later, he took a job at a patent office as an examiner, got fired from both, and then... He started doing his mathematics. Everybody said he was nuts. And in 1921, he won the Nobel Prize. Fact of the matter is, Albert Einstein was a freaking failure before he became Albert Einstein. How about Bill Gates? Here's another great one. In 1955, Bill Gates struggled as a child. He had 
he had actually a pretty stable upper class income. So he brought upbringing with a renowned lawyer was his father. At the age of 17 years old, he demonstrated an entrepreneurial spirit and he formed a company with a childhood friend, Paul Allen, called Trafo Data in an effort to analyze and process raw traffic data from traffic counters and present the data. Make a long story short, that was a huge failure. On the day of the reveal, a supervisor from the county of Seattle's traffic department came to see it, and the device failed to work completely. It was a total embarrassment. In 73, he enrolled in Harvard after scoring a near-perfect SAT score, but then he dropped out to start Microsoft. He, for years, Bill Gates was a failure for years until he became Bill Gates. Even Charles Darwin was an incredible failure. His life was a major failure by even his own father called him that. He dropped out of every university. His father said, you care for nothing but shooting animals. He was a complete loser until he became Charles Darwin. Wow. Charlie Chaplin in England, chaplains were tumultuous. He was born in a poverty. His father abandoned him at age two years old, leaving his mother with no income to support him. He made dresses, uh, 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 um, and his father provided no financial support. When he returned from the workhouse where he made dresses, Chaplin's mother was committed to a mental asylum at the age of not, when he was nine years old, forcing him to go back to the workhouse again. After two years, Chaplin's father, a raging alcoholic at the time, died. Chaplin's mother battled medical illness. His mom was a nutcase. He had no money. He worked sewing dresses. Charlie Chaplin was a failure before he became Charlie Chaplin. And I could go on and on and on. Colonel Harlan Sanders was an incredible failure trying to sell fried chicken to coffee shops. Had filed bankruptcy. Was a complete disaster until he became Colonel Sanders. How about a more contemporary one? Curtis Jackson, 50 Cent. 50, who's a friend of mine, 50 was, was a complete failure. Drugs, crime all around him. His own birth mother, Sabrina, was a drug dealer. At the age of eight, he had been coined, you know, he, he had been involved in a mysterious fire and drug sales. And I mean, 50 was an amazing failure before he became 50 Cent. Dr. Seuss unbelievable failure before he became Dr. Seuss. And it goes on and on. Elizabeth Arden, who created one of the most successful cosmetic lines, was a complete failure before she, before she became successful. And the list goes on and on and on. How about Elvis Presley? Elvis Presley struggled for years. Now, he made it a young age, so I wouldn't call him so much a failure, but he did make the list. And then there's others on the list that really surprised me. Fred Astaire failed for years, nearly starved until he got his first break. Fred Astaire. My point is this. Oh, here's one more. George Lucas. George Lucas, a, a Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, he was obsessed with race car driving. He had a terrible car crash that nearly killed him, and then he abandoned that obsession. After completing his graduate degree, he set out to make movies. You know, a he failed film after film after film. You know, he, he lost so much money, he almost couldn't count it. But he was undeterred. His next project, American Graffiti, turned everything around. Fact of the matter is, Lucas was a failure before he was George Lucas. And the last one I'll mention for today is Harrison Ford. You know him as a blockbuster actor, but the fact of the matter is, he is one of the most famous people to ever be in the movie business. He was also a huge failure. 
Both of Ford's parents had no connection to the entertainment. His father was a former actor, and his, and, and his mother was a radio actress, so they were both connected to the industry. You know, for two years, he worked odd jobs and small-time bits before he landed his first unaccredited role as a bellhop in a movie, Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round. In 1964, at the age of 24 years old, studios were rough on Ford, telling him that he would never make it in this business. But he refused to give up. It took him until 1973, nine years later, when he landed a breakthrough role in George Lucas's American Graffiti. And it was that role and his relationship with Lucas that would catapult him into stardom. Before he was uh, uh, Harrison Ford, he was a loser. He was struggling. And the last one for the day, Henry Ford. Henry Ford was a complete failure. It wasn't until 1891, when he was 28 years old, that he decided to become an engineer. He had failed at everything he had done before that. At the age of 30, chief engineer, when he started to experiment with engines. It wasn't until he was 35 years old when he designed and built a self-propelled vehicle that he started to be successful. In 1901, the company failed after an ability to pay back a loan to the Dodge Brothers. And due to inefficiencies in the design of his vehicle, the company ceased operations, doing a heavy blow to Ford. But in 1903, he gave a one final shot at the age of 40, and Henry Ford became Henry Ford. But before that, Henry Ford was a failure. So, the big ones don't do it any better than the small ones do. We all make the same darn mistakes. Every one of those people that I just called a failure are our images of success in our society. Success doesn't have to come when we're 21. It can come when we're 40. Here's the point. I love the movie Rocky when he says, winning is all about getting up, how hard a hit you can take, and getting up and fighting through it and finding success. Almost every successful person I have found out, me included, have had so many failures on the way. If we wallow in that failure, we're stuck when we leave that failure behind and move to our next adventure, that's when things get great. So, <laughs> success and failure walk hand in hand. He who has the courage to fail typically will have the ability to succeed. We'll be right back. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. But you know what else you can do in about a minute? You can get an offer on your car with True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. 
Pros like you know trusted brands have a hand in helping you nail the job. Start with Lowe's where you'll find those brands and savings too. Stop in today and pick up a new Metabo HPT 1 and 3 quarter inch 15 degree pneumatic roofing nailer for 20 bucks less. Now $269. And get a new Dewalt Tough Grip 52 piece steel hex shank screwdriver bit set for just $14.98, saving you 5 bucks. For even more ways Lowe's saves your business money, stop by the pro desk and talk to our dedicated pro team today. Whatever you need to get the job done, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 11-6 US only. Hey everybody, it's Laura Ingram, and this January I am launching my new show, The Laura Ingram Show Podcast, exclusively on Podcast One. So if you like my radio show, you're going to love joining me during the week as I cover politics, pop culture, and media bias. And don't worry, as always, I'm going to bring you hard-hitting guests and take your calls. Subscribe today and download new episodes starting January exclusively on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. Jillian Michaels is one of my favorite reality hosts of all time. I've met her, so I've looked in her eyes. I've seen her person, not just her persona on television. You know, she's so real, and her story is so inspirational that I couldn't wait to get Jillian on my podcast. And I don't want to talk about weight loss and exercise. I want to talk about Jillian. So... You ready to talk about you? Yeah, absolutely. Have you been? I'm guessing it's been a while, but I, you look great. Ah, uh, thank you. It's good. It's good to talk to you. I have so much to talk to you about, and uh, uh, I really want to talk about how you became you because your story fascinates me and is such an inspiration uh, to me. Uh, 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 and I know so many other people. So, can I go back in your life for a couple of minutes? Yeah, please. So you grew up in California, and I know because I've met you, you were 5'2", and about 175 pounds when you were in school? Yeah, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> and and <laughs> people um, uh, uh, made fun of you, right? Mimicked you, if you yeah. will. I just, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I want to tell the story correctly. And at some point in your life, something triggered you to say, enough, and you completely changed your lifestyle. Would you tell me about that moment? Well, to be honest, my mom had gotten me into martial arts when I was 12. And it wasn't um, because she was being proactive about my weight. I think that she felt like her and my father were going through kind of a crazy divorce. And she wanted me to have an outlet. Um, so I get into karate at that age and for the first time I was around individuals that were very supportive of me, you know, most were grownups or older teenagers. Um, and of course there was no bullying in that environment. And it was the first time that I felt accepted in a social setting where I wasn't being picked on. Um, so I was motivated by a group of supportive individuals, but over time, my martial arts instructor, worked on me and educated me about food and, and fitness. And then the day came where I showed up with a bag of Cheetos. And I want to say I was like 13. <laughs> and I mean, he just, he lost it on me. And, and basically was like, I, you know, I can't care more than you do. If you're not going to pick up what I've been laying down, I don't want to waste my energy and I don't want to waste my time. Um, you know, go home, call your mom, tell her to come get you, go home. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So I called her on her little car phone. <laughs> there was like, I don't know, 1989 or whatever. I'm not. And uh, she came back, got me. And to make a very long story short, as I thought about what he said and the loss of, you know, his 
mentorship and that environment was so great that it, it got me um, into martial arts. And that's kind of what really turned me around. Were you as were you disciplined before that? Oh God, no, not at all. So not not in, not in any aspect of your life. So really, martial arts pulled a, a, a desire for you to be more disciplined. Is that fair? It gave me a sense of confidence and strength. So, um, hence the reason that I utilize fitness as a tool to empower people. Because when you're strong physically, it transcends into other facets of your life. And when you're kind of in an environment where you don't have a choice but to be disciplined and then all of a sudden you see you can be disciplined, it opens up an infinity of possibilities regarding what you think you're capable of. Did you know that you would be uh, 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 in the physical training industry at that point in your life? Did you know it would always be a part of you? No, absolutely not. I fell into it Um, completely. I... uh, was training for my black belt when I was 17. Wow. Uh, and people would come up to me at the gym and ask me how much I charged. And for a little while, I was like, for what? <laughs> and, and, you know, I was like delivering pizza for $5 an hour. And you were a bartender, I believe, right? I was. I had gotten a little fake ID when I was like 19. Um, I was bartending at night and training during the day. And my mom got me my first little training certification. So I started that at around like... Maybe when I just turned 18 years old, and I, I just fell into it. Wow. So, so uh, uh, obviously, you fell, you fell into it. You started to love it. And you know, I find it fascinating how uh, uh, you've built such a powerful media career around being so who you are. And as one who's had reality TV, and you know that for about eight or nine years, I've had my shows. uh, 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 The only way to be successful in the television business is to really be authentic. Yes, completely. And, and, and you and I have had the same production companies, and we've had similar issues over our careers. And often television production encourages people like you and I, Jillian, to not be who we are. Yeah. And, when we, and when we – I know you know. And when we resist those moments and become unauthentic to ourselves, that's the worst television we could ever do. Oh my God, it, it's disastrous. It, not, not even just, I think it's a great metaphor for life. It is. Like some of the worst experiences I've ever had were when I didn't trust my God and I wasn't doing what I truly thought was right. So, so with me, and I think you'd agree, the reason why the two of us have lasted so long on television is that we do stay authentic to ourselves. And uh, uh, that authenticity frustrates others sometimes. But I believe it tends to keep viewers and it also keeps us honest, which you are very honest. So, so, okay. So you now, now you get, you ease into the personal training business and you open your first facility in Beverly Hills. What was it? Sky Sport and Spa in Beverly Hills. So how did you, you know, I'm a business guy. How did you get the money and and the capital and the plan? And talk to me about opening your first business because that's exciting. Oh my gosh, man. I was so scared. So It actually, between 17 and 29, which is when I finally got that place open, I had a moment in my mid-20s at about 24 where I got very caught up in the shoulds of life. You know, you should have a real job. You should. So I end up segueing into the entertainment industry first as a PA, then in the mailroom, then an assistant, 
Um, and then I ended up becoming a little junior agent at a place called ICM, International Creative yep. Management. And to make a very long story short, <laughs> I've never been less happy and I've never made less money. Um, and I end up with my personality being what it is, yep. getting uh, blackballed like, you know, oh, she's <laughs> never going to work again. So I'm 27 and I'm like broke, lost. I get back into training. But the time at ICM allowed me to build a very high end clientele. So I get back into training and these people knew me as being very fit and they started working out with me. And I start working at a sports medicine facility and I realized that I built that that individual's entire clientele and I could do it myself. And I like maxed out all my credit cards. I had clients that acted as angel investors. Um, I had a lot of people basically take a real leap of faith on me and bet on me and even our landlord, you know, taking the chance on a commercial lease because I had a business partner was kind of a miracle. Um, and by hook or crook, we started the business with like a hundred thousand dollars. Um, and it ended up working. And then a year later I ended up on biggest loser and sold my half of that business. Wow. So, so it's a wonderful story for everybody. So you were down at that point. You had, oh my God. you had gotten so, your yeah. butt kicked and you, you licked your wounds, you stood up and, yeah. and you took a more aggressive route than you had even prior to being knocked down. Oh man. Yeah, pretty much. But I always say that like a, a bad day for your ego is a good day for your soul, right? Like yeah, I agree. it forces you, you know, to kind of it would it rock bottom, uh, JK Rowling, right? Best place to build a foundation for the rest of your life. Like it, it forces you to kind of put up or shut up. You don't have a choice. Yeah, it, it does. It corners you into reality for sure. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. Thank you for saying that's exactly how I should have said it. That's it. So you became really accomplished, and I want everybody to know this. So, so you know, you you uh, got training certificates from the National Exercise and Sports Trainers Association, the Aerobics and Fitness Association of America, a kettlebell concept certified, uh, uh, AFAA. You hold nutrition and wellness consultant certificate with American Fitness Professionals and Associates. I mean, for people who think that that. You're just who you are because of television and cameras. Yeah. I know. They should know that, that you are a serious person and the real deal and that you know exactly what you're doing, uh, whether there's a camera present or not. And Yeah. You know, you and I come from a time where people actually um, did the jobs that they got hired to, to <laughs> yes. TV for. Like, now it's, you know, it's an Instagram world and it's a little bit different and a lot of people – in those mediums are not professionals. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was a trainer like one-on-one with clients since I was 17. I owned a sports medicine facility. I'm a black belt. I hold all the certifications and do yeah. continuing education for trainers. And it's just, yeah, it, it is what I do. It's what I do. So, so uh, what I loved about your kit and, and reading and, and learning about you was a, the way you uh, uh, came back to biggest losers, such a force. And it's interesting how uh, uh, the, you left the show, yeah. And the show was impacted by your departure, and uh, uh, then you came back, and and uh, you know th- there had to be some real gratification or what I call audience flattery in the fact that your departure from the show had an impact upon the show, that the audience in fact loved you. I think that I I believe with Biggest Loser that it was a dynamic. 
Um, and it was just the the right blend of like yin and yang with Bob and I, and I think Allison Sweeney just kind of being like the anchor to take you through the beats of the show. And then all the contestant stories were also fabulous. Yep. But, you know, when you take out a main ingredient of a recipe, it's not going to taste the same. And, it and, you know, you know the how Hollywood is. It's like forever yep. about trying to teach you a lesson yeah. and not let you be bigger than the show or build your own brand. And, you know, it just was a constant conflict and a nightmare, which is such a shame because, you know, it. It, it, I believe truly that if the producers and the network would listen, that show would still be on today, just like Big Brother and Survivor. But you know, egos well, get involved. But they do, and and of course, any show like that that that, that allows people to feel so good and uh, based upon accomplishment that they themselves can relate to, uh, I think it, it is a show that can run forever. Because the feelings that you get in that show, uh, 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 again, are so transferable to our own personal lives that it just registers. And even my Bar Rescue show, you know, at the end of the day, Bar Rescue is about people. It's just a bar oh, environment. Yeah. You know, you're dealing with a weight environment. I'm dealing with a bar environment. But at the end of the day, we're changing human behavior. And yeah. if we don't do that, we fail. And, you know, you're a master of it. And, and you do it in ways that you and I do it similarly. Sometimes we shame them. To be real. Yeah. Sometimes we appeal to their pride, right? Don't you want to look great for your husband or your kids? Or your, you don't, right? And we appeal to their pride. Sometimes we work fear. You know, you're going to yeah. gonna die if you don't fix this. A hundred percent. You know, you're going to lose your life. As you, and we use all of these things, which sometimes the viewer thinks is mean in the moment. But boy, Jillian, I understand you because you and I do this for a living. What you're doing is you're trying, and, and I'm guessing you're just like me, you're trying to find which of those triggers is going to make yes, this person change. Make them move. You got it. And, so, and we also have, I think what people don't understand, and I've said for years, is you, know, you and I are working in a dire situation. You know, you're dealing with bankruptcy for the yeah, most part, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm dealing with you know, physical wellness and life or death. So we're talking about a very serious situation on a ticking clock. That's right. And you can't get this person to move and hit certain benchmarks at an accelerated pace. There is no hope for them. Yeah. And, you know, to me, it was never about like, oh, I want you to like me. It, like, or I want America to like me. I was very focused on getting this person to hit those benchmarks before that clock ran out. And so I... I know you of all people actually understand. I do. And, and for me, I have four days. And is this, I say it, boy, it's funny to have this conversation with you. I have this clock ticking in the back of my head. And if I don't get them to a certain point after the first day, the second day, the third yes. day, I'm going to fail. So yep. I hope I'm going to get that hug in the, at the end. Because it's going to get ugly between now and then. And I just hope I get the hug at the end and they realize that I meant well. But that clock doesn't stop for us for a second, Jillian. And that, it's interesting how reality TV works that way. Because that's not real, that clock. That's you and I would have more time in life. That's what I've said a thousand times. I'm like, you realize that in everyday life, if you're in the gym and you do happen to be with somebody who is 500 pounds or you do happen to be working with somebody who's on the verge of complete financial destruction, like the hope is that you at least get a month, three months, a year to, to stick with them, to turn them around. Like a therapist can gradually help somebody come to terms with something. 
We don't have that luxury. No. (laughs) You know, for me, it was like, okay, number one, I need them to have a rock bottom moment where they're no longer in this kind of comfortable numb and they appreciate that the way they've been living is far more painful than the fear and the work associated with where they need to go. They need to take responsibility because if they continue to play a victim, then they're fundamentally disempowered to change. And at one point or another, by hook or crook, they need an accomplishment in that gym, whether it's I ran a half a mile or I did my first push-up, because it allows me to say, look, this is the reality of achievement and accomplishment. You were successful here. You did something you didn't think you could do. So what else is possible? It kind of shatters those um, limitations of perceived competency, right? Like what else, oh, is, what else am I capable of? So you and, and I, I go at this exactly the same way. It's fascinating. But, you know, that compressed time, as fake as that is, creates unbelievable reality. And what people should understand is Jillian and I are placed on this artificial stage. Time is compressed. There's cameras around us. But in those moments, what happens is completely real. And it's it's the cast uh, reacting to the pressure. It's Jillian and I reacting to the pressure. It's Jillian realizing, oh, my God, I'm going to run out of time. This person is not going to succeed and pushing harder and harder and harder. It's incredible how real it becomes in that unreal environment. Don't you agree? Because that's what you're given. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's very Hunger Games-esque, but the, the problem is, like, is it ideal? Of course not. But that's what you're given and that's what they're given. So there were times where it was a blessing, right? Because without that opportunity, you can't jumpstart somebody's engine. But is it ideal for the long run? No. And, you know, there's been so much flack over the years with Biggest Loser contestants of, yeah, well, they gained their weight back. And it's like you realize 95% of the people that lose weight or quit smoking – Start again, drink again, smoke again, gain it back because the issues are emotional. Yes. And so I do think like it's you can you can get to some of them and you, you're not going to win with all of them. And it, the time doesn't help, but at least you have an opportunity to get to some of them and help some of them. And, and I feel the same. Win. And I feel the same. I track it about 70% uh, 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 success from failures. Yeah, do, do, do you know it? When when the lights turn off and the show wraps, do you know who's going to make it and who isn't, or who's going to retain their weight loss and who's not? Yeah, me usually. too. Me too. I yeah. can I can call it almost every time, and yeah. it's interesting how how we feel it. We know when what has happened with them has is behavioral, or what has happened with them is truly inspirational and within them. You know, more yeah. in their in their character than their behavior, if you will. That's it, it's so true. And, you know, I can only speak to to weight. Right. But when somebody is eating so much that they're, you know, two, three hundred pounds overweight, it's not because they love Twinkies. Right. And it's not because they're lazy. It's because this behavior yeah. has afforded them something very significant for years and years and years, whether it's a connection to a loved one, whether it's control, whether it's defense, who knows. Yep. But giving that up is psychologically terrifying and you know whether or not they're going to be able to make that sacrifice and deal with all the wounds that weight loss is going to bring to the table. And some of them need, you know, years of therapy to get through that. Like you can teach them diet and you can teach them exercise, but you can't take that pain away. Some you can help 
some you can't. And that's the reality of like what, you know, weight loss, to be fair, um, and weight gain. You know, I always say that that uh, people like you and I, we have to change. We can't just change what they do. We have to change the way they think. Yes. And, you know, yes. that that's our biggest challenge because you can do that with me over weeks and weeks. You, can, you know, we can work together. You can just keep feeding me information and data and logic and reasons and motivations. And you can start to change the way I think. We both know that because we do that in our real non-TV lives. The, yeah. ch- the challenge is, can we really make somebody think different in just a few days? And, and you know, that to me is, is the biggest challenge of my TV work. And I'm sure you agree. It Didn't it make you better as a trainer? Uh, uh, because when, when we got good at it in such condensed and emotional situations, don't you think we're better at it now in, in more normal situations with that experience? <sighs> I would say absolutely. It it definitely forces you to hone your craft, right? And become meticulous about the steps and your system and your program. Um, Because you you just, as you said, you don't have a choice. And you see very quickly, like, what works and what doesn't and which approach to take and which tool to pull from the toolbox to use on which problems. And I I think, yeah, you're absolutely right when you're put in that – it's like forged by fire. You know, you're you're that much stronger and smarter in my opinion. Yeah, and you learn to think on your feet. Okay. Okay, let's put TV and training aside and everything. I know that you're involved in a lot of charities, and I know that you're big on animal welfare causes, as am I. So I'd love to talk to you about what are the things that, that, you know, so occupy your time and your heart when you're not working on the things that we all know you for? Um, you know, over the years, when it comes to charity, I have pretty much not had an identity. And what I mean by that is like, I don't align with one specific charity. It's like animals, kids, cancer. (laughs) Like, yeah, what do you need? I mean, I just, you know, you get the request, you you do it. Like, Hey, you know, we want you to meet with mayor de Blasio about carriage horses in New York, you know, and I'm like, okay. Or like, you know, you, you, you get very focused on certain campaigns that certain charities ask for help with, whether it's yeah. um, the you know Alliance for a Healthier Generation, which is helping kids become more active and more fit or stand up to cancer um, and or, or the Dave Thomas Foundation, helping raise awareness about yeah. children in foster care and trying to get more people to adopt out of foster care. Uh, for me, I feel that, you know, that, another quote, right? To whom much is given, much is required. Yeah, I agree with so, that. It's a responsibility to leverage yes. your celebrity in, in a way. I'm just like you, by the way. I'm, I'm on the uh, board of a Keep Memory Alive, which is an Alzheimer and our Cleveland mm-hmm. Clinic of Nevada. And I'm in, involved in a number of boards like that. But to me, it's not my identity. When somebody calls, if I think I can make a difference, I'll say yes. And I'm guessing you're the same way. Yeah, I will. Um, if I if I think I can be helpful. And- yeah. Uh, you know, only recently have I just gotten involved with the UNHCR, which is the United Nations Refugee Agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and this I'm hoping to like really do a, a deeper dive on. So we're planning a trip to the Congo, actually, the Democratic wow. Republic of the Congo in March. And they've been giving me like a pretty thorough, intense education on the refugee crisis globally. And the goal is to be bigger than ever. Good. It, it, like oh man, it's seventy million people all around the world. It's yeah. it's devastating, and there's so much misinformation 
um, out there about these individuals and their struggles and who they really are and what they're really running from and what the solutions could potentially be. Um, and so that to me is something that I, I really would like to be well-versed on and very outspoken and see if I can, you know, do more than a Facebook campaign. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I do. Uh, I do. Or well, just write a check, you know? It's like, it, that, and that's something that I'm, I'm very focused on for 2019. Well, if I can be helpful, please let me know. That's certainly a great purpose. Thank and there's you. a lot of suffering. Uh, 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 and we got to put faces on these people so people understand it. Uh, yes, uh, and tell their really stories. Important. Absolutely. Exactly. And when we don't, people don't know the story, they don't relate to it. it it's Not shit. at all. Absolutely, I agree. Okay, so, so uh, um, I have two questions here that actually came from listeners. And uh, um, the first one we sort of talked about, you push people to their fullest potential. Who pushes you? Do you push yourself? God, I mean, I do, but it does take outside individuals to really pinpoint when you're engaged in destructive behavior, right? Like yeah. whether it's in relationships um, or, or really, which is where I, I could use the most work at this point in my life <laughs> is trying to grow as a person yeah. um, with regard to being more vulnerable and, uh, you know, though that's really my, my Achilles heel, I would say, at this point in my life. It's so, interesting as as a celebrity, and as somebody, it's funny. You're five two, but you're bigger than life to so many people, right? Because of television and the hero shots and the imagery, and and, and you know the the. the it's t- and yeah, I have this. I, I'm sure you and I relate on this issue. Sometimes it's hard to be the the, the Jillian Michaels that everybody expects you to be. Sometimes you want to let your hair down. <laughs> you know, you want to have some sweat. There might be a day where, son of a gun, you're going to take a bite of a piece of chocolate cake, and if anybody ever sees that, they're going to go crazy on you. <laughs> so, so <laughs> is, do you agree that that puts a pressure on us? Uh, oh uh, man, it, it's I would tough. Say that it, it's basically like living with a target on your back. <laughs> it really is. Like that's what being a public figure is, and you know it's a blessing and it's a curse. Yeah. Because you know you get up to run your race every single day just like everybody else, but when you're so busy playing defense yeah. that you you rarely get to play offense and do so much of the things you love because you're so busy fending off bullshit attacks and haters and it's just that it you know it comes with the territory but yeah it can be a little it can be grueling so what i love about you is you are tough and in your bio and i've never seen this before this is how honest you are there's a section on controversy (laughs) you're gonna laugh in in your bio and i love the story uh, of you were the subject of a critical article in the la times uh, where, where they actually said you're not a real fitness trainer, your uh, yeah. certification, and and you stood up and you said, no way. And, yeah. and would you tell me that story? Because that's a great story oh about just sticking up for yourself. Yeah, it was, um, God, it was years ago now, but somebody wrote like an op-ed piece in the Los Angeles Times saying that I was an actress, not a trainer. And so we turned around and I was like, no, no, we're not going to. Because, you know, a lot of people are like, let it go, let it go. And it's like, it's real dangerous to let that stuff go. Well, they're calling you a fake. Yeah, it's real dangerous to try to like, you got to be very strategic about what you rise above and what you deal with. And in my opinion, this is the Los Angeles Times. And it's it's questioning my credibility and my credentials. So we said, we're going to sue you. (laughs) And then we provided them with all the information. You have all the certifications and all the years of. 
And then they printed like a you know retraction like yeah. on some buried it somewhere. But it got it got out that they printed the retraction. And you know people just do that. That's what they do. Or they yeah. like there was a lawsuit over supplements that I had that were like all organic. Like it was essentially like a pre workout, and it was like hey you know it was caffeine, vitamin C, green tea, all these antioxidants. And so we got sued by a competitor um, who never bought the product. It was a class action lawsuit claiming like, oh, the supplements kill people. And to make a long story short, it turns out they never bought the product. All the cases were dismissed. But it doesn't matter, right? Nobody prints that story. So you have to fight every single one of these things. And Dr. Phil, whether you like the guy or not, sat me down once and he's like, you have to fight all of this because at the end of the day, the Sue Jillian line – yeah. It gets a lot shorter when you take these things on one by one because people don't want to tangle with you when you fight back. And I just believe you you have to defend yourself. It's critical. You do. Uh, uh, uh. And uh, I know Phil well, as I know you do. And there's a lot of wisdom that I've picked up from Phil over the years, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You know, he's, you ever hear his term BTB? Beneath, no. Beneath the brand. You know, BTB, beneath the brand. Uh, uh, and you know, he's very big on that whole element of brand positioning, and 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 he's certainly a bright guy, Jillian. You know, uh, this has been a pleasure. I hope we can do it again soon, because yeah, I've always loved uh, 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 what you have represented to me and to our country. And then when I got to meet you a couple of years ago and stand next to you and laugh, I think we had cocktails or a glass of wine or something <laughs> in our hands, and got to laugh and look in your eyes, you know, uh, I really saw somebody on a personal level who I connected with and thought was terrific. And I wanted this interview to show the personal side of you. You notice we haven't talked that much about the specifics of weight loss or discipline, yeah. but I wanted everybody to learn, honestly, and I hope I don't make you blush, just how terrific you are. And, 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 you know, what an inspiration you are personally to everyone. And I know you have two young daughters, right? Oh, uh, one boy, one girl. One boy, one girl. I have a question for you, just as a dad. How do you deal with children and travel? Oh, God, dude. <laughs> I, I schlep them. Um, and I take them every moment that I'm home. So literally it's like every single day that I'm home, I have the kids right. and then some of the time I'll take turns like schlepping one and then schlepping the other. Yeah. And it, it's not ideal. You know, my daughter just went with me to like New York and Toronto for like four days wow. and you know, she was on her iPad a lot and we did her homework uh. like on lunch breaks. But I, I think it's better than nothing and you just do the best you can and you make the time you have with them the best quality, you know, and that, yep. and that hopefully makes a difference. Well, my daughter's 30 and I just learned a couple of weeks ago, she's going to kill me for saying this, that I'm about to be a grandfather. Oh, so, so that's a really cool thing for me. But you know, it's interesting. I traveled all those years when she was growing up and we didn't have fax machine. I mean, we didn't have a FaceTime and things like that. She would fax me her homework when I was in Asia and I would wake up at five in the morning, which was five in the afternoon, her time, and do her homework with her over the phone every day. And, you know, uh, I want parents to know this. With all the travel and all the work and the television commitments and everything, you're close to your kids, aren't you? Yeah, of course. I mean, they're, they're, they're what makes the world go around, right? Yeah. That's, so. That's- they're the number one thing. So, so you know, travel should not get in the way of those things. And for people like Jillian and I and those parents who really don't want it to, you figure out a way to stay close to your kids even when you're miles away. 
Anyway, Jillian, thank you. Uh, uh, This was a blast. Uh, uh, Where can people find you? Of course, you have your podcast, which is an incredible podcast, which you've won a bunch of awards for. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Where can people find you? Um, Yeah, my website. That's where you can learn about like our app, our books and all that stuff. It's just JillianMichaels.com. Great. Well, I'm going to go there and and I hope we we get to see you soon. (laughs) Thank you, man. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Well, I really wanted this interview, uh, 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 and I hope everybody sees why now. You know, first of all, people talk about how uh, those on TV aren't real. Well, Jillian is very real. Uh, I also wanted people to understand how fame uh, uh, doesn't come so easily. But her story is she got her butt kicked, stood up, raised money, opened a business after that, and started what became a fitness empire. And and, uh, there are a few who are more successful in that business than Jillian is. And years ago, she started with nothing. Years ago, she was uh, overweight, and and she would have been a subject of her own work. Uh, She's a great example to entrepreneurial spirit, to licking your wounds and standing up and going back to war uh, uh, when we lose battles, and how to manage success in life uh, 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 and manage... uh, uh, your personal identity in life. And Jillian has done a very good job doing all those things. Uh, We'll be right back with my favorite part of the show, Audience Calls. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Shut it down! All right, John, new week, new callers. Let's get right into it. We have Thomas from Cocoa Beach. He's uh, looking to open up his own bar. Thomas, John here. How you doing, buddy? John Taffer, how are you, sir? Nice to talk to you, Tom. So you're thinking of opening a bar, buddy. Are you working, actually, on opening a bar? Are you just a few weeks away? Yeah, so we're actually um, we're locating Cocoa Beach, Florida. Um, I've been in the bar business for about nine years, and um, I was able to uh, partner with the owner of the La Quinta Hotel here in Cocoa Beach, uh, J.J. Turk, and uh, he brought me in as a, uh, as a partner. Wow. Uh, we took over the uh, the. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We took over the um, uh, the hotel bar that was located here. And um, just to kind of give you a little bit of uh, some background, uh, this hotel was actually built in the 60s by the original seven astronauts of the Mercury Space Program. So there's a lot of history here. And, um, you know, Frank Sinatra, uh, Walter Conkite used to uh, come through these stores. So, you know, there's a lot of history here. And, um, you so- know, the bar that we purchased was actually built by my partner's father in the early nineties. And, uh, you know, after changing hands a couple of times, uh, we took over in uh, August of last year. Wow. Congratulations. So are you open and operating now? Uh, we are not, we are, uh, I'm happy to say that, um, we are probably about, uh, three, four weeks from opening the doors. Gotcha. So, so have you, um, have you remodeled, have you remodeled the space and have you rebranded it? And, and, uh, what are you doing? What are you doing? First of all, what are you doing with the okay. brand? So basically, um, it was a sports bar for the better part of 25 years. And um, as far as uh, remodeling, yeah, we uh, a lot of a lot of square feet in this place. So, you know, you know, brand new tables, high tops, chairs, um, TVs, you know, new paint job, uh, new flooring. We put beadboard around the bar. I mean, we really wanted to kind of, you know, class this bar up. And, um, so you're keeping you know, the, the bar sports bar pretty- concept. So did you keep the the uh, original brand? Uh, no, we did not. So the uh, bar, um, 
it was named Timeout Sports Bar, and um, now it is now known as uh, JT Sports Bar. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually the name it was going to be uh, in the 90s. Uh, the owner, uh, John Turk, and now it's, it's kind of funny. The initials J and T, you know, stands for John and Thomas. So it, it, it actually works. That's it, right. it's, it's pretty neat. It's pretty so, neat. Also stands for John Taffer, by the way. Just thought I'd mention that. John Taffer. <laughs> I was just going to say John, the John Taffer Sports Bar. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a, a couple of things. You know, you know you, you've been in this business, and, you, and you've, uh, I see you ran a bar for years. I saw that in your note. Tom. So, you know, the most important thing that happens with a new bar like this is when our partner or the landlord uh, uh, get disillusioned during the first couple of months. And that can be a really powerful impact upon the business. So keeping opening energy is really important. Here's what I would do. Here's the way I've opened this. I would open this place for you. First of all, I would make sure I have all the POS systems that are necessary, all the accounting systems. I'm a huge believer in those controls. You can get all those for free today. You don't have to spend a dime to get a world-class POS Mm -hmm. system. You can put them in completely for free today. So so make sure you have that system in place so you can track your labor costs. They should sign in on that. They should sign out on that. Uh, 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 Mm -hmm. And that's critical. The most important thing is that that you open it correctly. Now, if you're opening in a few weeks, you're opening – Sort of still in season, but you're starting to hit Mm -hmm. the back end of season there. Now, I've had friends that have come down to your part of the country to open their bars in September to capture season or October. And instead, they they fell behind and opened late February, early March, missed season and never made it to the next year. So I want to caution you on what you're going to do off season. Because what happens okay. to you is you're not going to have the season to fill your bank accounts before you go off season. So that would concern me down oh, there. So you have to open with a bang for the locals. So the way you do yes. that is yeah. where, where people blow it is they think you market to tourists. You don't. You market to locals, and the locals will tell the tourists. That's the way it works. You don't listen to a radio <laughs> spot when you're in another city and choose a bar. You ask the guy in a hotel what bar to go to or the cab driver what bar to go to, but you don't respond to an ad on a radio to go to a bar or a restaurant. So that's one. Two, you got to open it with a bang. Here's what I would do. I would wrap that building at the entry to that building in white sheets, top to bottom, roof okay. to sidewalk. Okay. I'd put top secret on those sheets in red paint. I'd take a picture of you, John, and two armed guards in front of it holding rifles and yep. take a picture of it. I'd send that picture to the local <laughs> okay. media. I'd let thousands of cars drive by and see that building wrapped in white sheets with top secret on it day after day after day. I would not tell anybody okay. what you're doing inside. I would try to hide it. I would take the attitude if I tell you, I got to kill you. So I'm not going to tell you. I would play the top secret game to the max. I wouldn't let vendors in certain areas. I would play it as high as I possibly could. Then 10 days before I open, I would put up a sign opening in 10 days with Velcro. The next day, I'd rip the 10 off. It would say nine days, eight days, seven days, six, five, four, three, two, one. And you watch what happens opening day. And that's without buying Um, one ad anywhere. So, you know, it's it's actually funny you say that because we've actually been – treating this operation uh, pretty top secret. You know, I, I've always kind of, um, you know, I, I've, I, I know the power of social media, right? So I, you know, my last bar, I ran the, um, you know, the Snapchat, the Instagram, the Facebook, um, you know, and including all the rating sites like Yelp and, and TripAdvisor. So, 
you know, as far as drumming up business, uh, you know, it's, it's, I've always, you know, said it's, it's, it's very organic. You know, I could post up, uh, you know, just a 10 second clip on Snapchat, you know, the bar is busy. And then people say, oh man, you know, Thomas's bar is busy. Let's go there. Um, this time around, you know, I, ha- I barely posted anything, you know, so it's, it's kind of a way to, you well, know, you uh, can have a lot of fun with you know, that. Kind of build the anticipation. Get some buzz. Well, get get you, you. You get a little buzz. Get the market talking about it. It's some fun for you and the owners. Uh, uh, it can be an, an oh, awful yeah. lot of fun. Have the employees play around with it. You know, I'm sorry, I can't tell you what I saw. It's top secret. Make a big deal out <laughs> of it. The other thing that's really important is, you know, when you open operations like this, so many times bars are like football games. Vince Lombardi used to say this. He used to say he never lost a game. He just ran out of time. So many just bars, yep, yep. so many bars could be profitable, Tom, if they just had another month or two to get their act together, but they ran out of money too sure. soon. So, you know, sure. you want to sure. watch your labor costs like a hawk. You don't want to spend one dime more than twenty five percent on your labor cost every week. If you do a thousand dollars in sales, well, buddy, you got to spend two fifty. End of story. You can't go higher. And those are the yeah, kind so of, 25%. Yeah, yeah. you have to manage that every day because if the first week of the month you ran 35%, you better adjust it the next week to come in because a bar typically has to achieve two things, three things to be successful. One, the revenue must be 10 times the rent or the bar will not succeed. And that's just because okay. of the nature of an operating statement with marketing expenses and administrative and general expenses and product costs and labor costs and all those other costs that go along with operating a bar. So if you're spending 5000 a month in rent for conversation's sake, you've got to do 50 or you don't stand a chance. So you must okay. do 10 um, times the rent in sales. So what is your rent? Uh, the rent is um, – uh, I'm not really sure the uh, the number yet. It hasn't been finalized. I, the, well, the, the, what I mean by that is, you know, my partner he is also the landlord as well. Yeah. So. Uh, well, I would negotiate you know, a deal I'm with him say, for ten percent of revenue as rent, something yeah, along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, if you start paying twenty percent in rent, you're not going to make money. I just want you to be aware of that. That's a very important benchmark. Sure. Uh, the other thing is you can't spend yeah, no, more. We're, we're, you can't spend more than twenty five percent in labor. And you can't mm-hmm. go more than 21% in beverage costs. And if you manage those three elements, you will typically make money. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the beauty of this hotel is, um, you know, what we gained is also now an additional 127 revenue streams as far as the hotel rooms go. So, you know, one call to action that, you know, we're going to implement is, you know, every single person that checks in the hotel is going to get a free drink card, you know, good for a free, uh, you know, house cocktail or a pint of beer. Well, yeah, I, that way we can Tom, I've, I've been and, there, uh, buddy. Let me give you one more that's fun. Print up some post-it okay. notes at your spe- at your uh, local uh, uh, print place, and have those post-it mm-hmm. notes say in big red post-it note, and you put it right on every t- t- you have housekeeping put it on every television in every guest room, and it says caution: watching television can be hazardous to a good evening. Present this downstairs at the bar for a free cocktail. And have housekeeping okay. put that post-it note on every television in every hotel room that you do. And and simple yeah. things like that can drive a huge amount of traffic. Uh, uh, something else which works very, very well in hotel environments. Put a camera in the bar that shows the bar is being okay. – and you run a channel through the hotel TV system, which is live to the bar. Now, it doesn't say live. It's just a channel for JT Sports Bar. 
you can run a okay. loop video of the bar packed. It doesn't have to be live. But you run a video of the bar packed on that channel loop all the time. <laughs> So yep. I see the uh, caution, uh, you know, for a free drink. I see the channel on the TV listing. I see the bar is packed. I know it doesn't say live. It just says, you know, this is oh, what yeah. this is. And, I, and I'm much more likely to come down. But those are the aggressive ways you need to do it. You also need to make sure that the employees support you big time. But, Tom, I got to run to the next yep. call. Buddy, this has been a good call. I wish you a lot of success. Try the top secret thing, okay? It'll make a lot of buzz for you. I will, John, and I just want to say I love listening to you on part of my take as well, man. Ah, uh, thank you, you. You absolutely killed. Him. By the way, for all of those barstool sports fans, uh, 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 I don't. Yeah. He might kill me for saying this, but Dave Portnoy and I have an announcement to make. I guess we'll probably make it at the end of the week, but we're working on something together, okay. and we're happy to tell everybody about it. So, uh, uh, everybody cool. should watch out Very for that cool. in the barstool world. But anyway, Tom, take care, buddy. We'll talk again. Take care. All right, John, we have Kyle out of Pineville, Missouri. Looks like he's a huge bar rescue fan. Hey, Kyle, how are you, buddy? I see you're a deputy sheriff, so first of all, thank you for keeping us safe, buddy. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. So I understand you're a bar rescue fan. Yes, sir, I am. My, my kids and I watch it every Sunday. Ah, uh, that's great. I'm happy to hear that. Well, I see you sent me well, some questions. You want, you want me to just uh, talk? The first one was, what was your biggest challenge in life that you've ever faced? Is that, one, is that the list, Kyle, that you're talking about? Because I got yeah, it right. Sure. Great. So, so the biggest challenge you've ever faced in life, I got to tell you, was probably being a father. And you can relate to this. You know, I'm a young man. I get married. And, and suddenly, you know, uh, I'm staring in the eyes of, of this baby whose entire life is dependent upon, uh, uh, you know, my ability to provide for them. I think that was the biggest challenge I've ever faced. And i got to say, being a news anchor on Fox Business wasn't exactly easy either. I did that a couple of weeks ago. I was just the other side of the spectrum. But I think, you know, uh, 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 the fear of being a father and, and really being able to step up as a father was probably my biggest fear. And the second one you I asked. Go ahead, please. I definitely hear that. I, I, being a father is. Um, you know, I've had, I've had my kids full time for 11 years and being a single father and, uh, and it's definitely challenging, but it's definitely rewarding at the same time. Yeah, it sure the heck is. So, uh, your second one was on back to the bar episodes. Have you ever had past bar owners escorted off the set? I think one time, Kyle, uh, 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 the owner of the comedy club in Scottsdale, Arizona got a little heated and I think he was, he stormed off the set, but I think he was eventually escorted out of the building. Uh, but I don't do the escorting, so I'm not, I'm not totally sure, uh, what happened after he stormed <laughs> off the stage, but he was not a happy camper, I can tell you that. I gotcha. What was your next and, one? Uh, thank you. I'm sorry, go ahead. So the next one, what has my biggest achievement in life been so far? You know, the, honestly, and, uh, the, the opportunity to talk to you and other people like you is the greatest opportunity I've ever had because of Bar Rescue. I get to talk to people like yourself. Uh, uh, you know, as a sheriff, uh, I stop by police departments all over the country when I'm shooting bar rescue. Fire departments stop by set with their trucks and we take pictures. PD units stop by, we take pictures. You know, I get to interact with thousands of police officers and firemen around the country just because of bar rescue. I get to impact with business owners and, and interact with business owners. And that's, the, I think, the biggest honor. Uh, 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 and biggest achievement that I've had is the fact that, Kyle, that you have a desire to talk to me is very flattering to me. And, and I think that's my biggest achievement, buddy. You're it, <laughs> as an example. So, uh, well, uh, I definitely appreciate that also. 
And all right, let's see. We're on a roll here, buddy. Let's see. Your next one was why did, <laughs> why did you start rescuing bars? What was the biggest challenge in your first bar rescue? You know, uh, 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 I didn't really expect to start uh, uh, rescuing bars. I started attending bar when I was in college. And, and the lesson uh, uh, really for your son, Michael, is that, you know, life changes. And, you know, I'm not sure if you wanted to be a sheriff when you were 12 years old, Kyle. That just evolves in your life. But, you know, sometimes we wind up doing something very different than we ever inspected. I went to college for political science, and I started tending. Well, I'm glad I didn't go into that business, by the way. Um, 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 uh, 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 and I, you know, I started tending bar, and I fell in love with the hospitality industry. And then I became a hotel general manager and a food and beverage director in a resort. And then uh, 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 I started helping some friends with bars, and one thing turned to another. But the lesson for Michael is, you know, be excited about what you want to do, but always keep an open mind, right, Kyle? Because you never know what life uh, opportunities life's going to give to you. Yes, sir. And definitely the chances you don't take uh, be missed opportunities. That's exactly right. All righty. Your, your last question was, what was the most hardest rescue we've ever done? And this is from your 16-year-old, Christopher. Probably the toughest one I've ever done was, and it was years ago, Pirates was a very difficult episode to do. Uh, uh, I remember that episode because they they uh, 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 were so resistant upon being anything but playing pirate. But the most difficult ones for me have always been with the married couples, uh, um, and uh, uh, the ones that are the most touching to me are the hurricane. Now, Operation Puerto Rico, I'm sure you've saw that one, Kyle. That's the most meaningful yep. bar rescue episode I've ever done. Uh, a matter of fact, I was there two weeks ago. We, we were taking some pictures together. That one meant the most to me because these are good people, Kyle, who, whose lives were destroyed by a storm. They didn't drink themselves to that situation. They didn't spend all their money. You know, they weren't irresponsible. As a matter of fact, they were all the opposite of those things. And, and their business got leveled by, by Mother Nature. So when I can come in and really help somebody who, who sort of legs were cut out from under them, you know, that, that's the most rewarding of all, Christopher. Anyway, I hope that, yeah. that I hope uh, 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 that does it for you. Did you see Operation Puerto Rico, Kyle? I did. I actually follow that bar on on their Facebook page, and I see all their photos. And uh, I did see from your your recent visit there a few from off your off your Facebook page, and I did see it. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it meant a lot to me to get those hugs, buddy. It's the best part of bar rescue is that hug at the end. Anyway, Kyle, say say hello to your kids for me. I appreciate it, John. I appreciate your time, and thank you for this opportunity to speak with you. My pleasure, Kyle. Stay safe out there, buddy. All right, John, this is going to be an interesting one. We have David from Philadelphia, and he's looking to open a bar arcade. Oh, like a uh, – uh, uh, hey, David, how you doing? Great. How are you? Good. So you're opening like a bar with a game room in it, so to speak? Yeah, so uh, they're popping up all over the country, yep. uh, major cities usually, yep. so like Pac-Man, Galaga, stuff that, sure. you know, 80s, 90s nostalgia that they can hang their hat on mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, you know, defining their brand. Um, but first-time bar owner, uh, like I said, it's going to be opening up here in Pennsylvania. Uh, we're going to call it Coin Arcade Bar. Uh, it's on Instagram. And everyone I'm running into, everyone and their mom is telling me, you're going to need cameras here and there. You're going to need cameras you're going to get stolen from. I would never open up a bar. All you're going to do is get stolen from. They're going to rob you blind and smile to your face. So I'm asking you, you're the guru, you know about this. What preventative measures or policies, what can I put in place so that this doesn't happen or that I could minimize it drastically? Okay, a couple of things. First of all, uh, uh, 
the bar industry is managed as a percentage of revenue, not as hard dollars. And as a general rule of thumb, there are a couple of budget things that you need to know and, and understand. And, and uh, uh, some of this stuff is available. And if I were you, by the way, the nightclub and bar convention is at the end of March in Las Vegas. And it has about 80 educational programs and about 700 trade booths. And if you don't go to that event, I think you're nuts. Uh, and okay. I'm giving a keynote there, but there's a whole bunch of solutions for you there. But that aside, uh, uh, you want to manage uh, uh, your your biggest profit centers, the closest. Uh, are you selling food? Are you preparing food? Do you have a kitchen? Yes. So there'll be uh, a small kitchen. Okay. So it does it have to, like yeah. – you're making like burgers, pizza, frozen food, cooked food. What are you doing? Uh, it'll be small plates, uh, maybe some like flatbread um, – Pizza, okay. Uh, okay. some like grown-up versions of grilled cheese, you okay. know, some gourmet-type grilled cheeses. Very okay. simple, flat okay. top, maybe two deep fryers. Okay, so gotcha. So you have a hood in there so you can do that. Okay, so, so uh, uh, the nice thing is the food items you just told me about are very low cost inherently, right? So they're yeah. not high flat bread items like that are very low in cost. You know, produce-rich items and protein-rich items get a lot co- more costly. You can't exceed in an operation like yours a food cost of about 28%. Everything that you sell must be costed at 28%, right down to the slice of tomato that's on that flatbread. Period. End of discussion. Now, if you can sell some items at a 14% cost and some pizzas, you can. That's great. You don't move the price down to 28. If you can get 9.95 for an item that costs you a dollar, that's terrific. That's market driven. But in no case can any food item based upon food revenue to food cost cost you more than 25 at the most 28% of revenue you must run a food cost of 28% or below next beverage cost beverage cost is going to be your biggie and that's the one that's the scariest thing to do you see if you use flatbreads and you buy them in a bag you can count those flatbreads you can put 20 on a line and between your POS system and counting out the flatbreads, you can count out slices of bread if you want to. You can count out and par the cooking line so that if there's more of those consumed, you'll know it. So they can't make money on what they don't have to sell. So you can manage product in and out, but the ultimate measurement is as long as you're running 25% of food revenue, then you're fine. You don't care about anything else, David, as long as you hit that number. The next thing is beverage. Beverage cost is a result of three things. Beverage cost or poor cost, people use both terms, is a result of spirits cost, which is, you know, the cost for a vodka tonic. That tends to run between 14 and 17% of beverage revenue. Draft beer should be costed at about 22%. Bottled beer will be costed the highest of them all at about 27 to 28%. The combination of those is beverage cost or poor cost. If you sell a lot of bottled beer, you're going to run a higher cost. You follow me? Because you're selling a lot of bottled beer and not a lot of spirits at a lower cost. If you sell a lot of spirits, then you're going to run a much lower beverage cost and you're going to run a much more profitable operation. So you need to have signature cocktails. You need to have things that move people from beer to spirits cocktails. That's where the most money is for you. Don't ignore cocktails is my point. That's why we have signature cocktails, and we manage costs that way. The combined beverage costs can never, never, David, exceed 21%. It can be a lot better if you sell a higher percentage of cocktails than beer. 
So okay. we talked food costs. We talked labor costs. And, uh, we talked beverage costs. The next one is labor costs. And this is the one that will really get you. You can't spend more than 25% of total revenue on labor, period, end of discussion. By the time you put FICA and other charges on top of that, you're running about 32%. If you run real, raw, 25, you follow me? Think mm-hmm. about this, 32% labor cost, 21% beverage cost, 30% food cost. Your rent is about 10%. There's not a lot left if any of mm-hmm. these three categories, food costs, beverage costs, or labor costs, get out of whack. Then you're in big trouble. Now, labor costs is easy to manage because you can manage it by the day. If I'm going to do $1,000 today, I can spend 250 on labor. That's my 25%, not a penny more. If at the end of the day, I did $1,200 on my $250 labor cost, I hit a home run, right, Dave? On the other hand, hand, if I only do $800 today in sales, so my labor cost came in at 30%, not 25%, I have to adjust it later this week so that at the end of the week, I come in at my 25. Make sense? So, so I got to track that by the day. So I always want to know month to date, what is my labor percentage? What is my labor percentage? So you got beverage, you got food, you got labor. Those are the three biggies. One last thing is for budgets to work in a bar, they must attain any budget to work in a bar. You must attain a minimum of 10 times rent in revenue. If you can't do 10 times rent in revenue, then the other numbers aren't going to work. So that's your revenue objective. So if you're spending twenty five hundred in, in rent, you got to do twenty five thousand. If you're spending uh, uh, five thousand in rent, you got to do fifty in sales. Monthly, weekly, monthly. I'm giving you monthly, monthly numbers. Yep. Thank you. So as long as you have the marketing plans to hit that number ten times rent, can manage that cost percentage for food, beverage, and labor, then then. All the other costs, you know, we just managed 80% of your costs. The other 20 are not the ones that are going to kill you. Yeah. Well, well, that, oh, man. That's bar, yeah, that management, that's bar Management 101. Now, do, and I mean this, Now, I happen to be chairman of it, but I don't own it. Really try to go to the nightclub and bar convention in Las Vegas. There's hundreds of promotions and marketing programs that you leave with. David, you got to have promotions. That's the bar business. And when Absolutely. I ran and when I ran bars like you did, I had an activities director who wore a referee shirt, had a megaphone and an apple box. And she would go into the game room and she'd stand in the apple box and she'd fire up the megaphone and she'd say, Pac-Man tournament in the corner, $20 prize, let's do it. And everybody would line oh, wow. up and we'd have a Pac-Man tournament. We'd have a pool tournament. We had her managing. We called her, uh, uh, she was like the uh, uh, entertainment director on a cruise ship. But her job as activities director was to have constant promotions, contests, couples, singles, double elimination, single elimination, everything that we could think of to create activities around the games. We are in a promotional business, David. You are going to live and die promotion to promotion. By going to the nightclub and bar convention, you will leave with 50 promotions in your pocket. It will ensure the success of your business. Dave, you're crazy if you don't go, buddy. I hope that's I helpful. It. Thanks so much. Take care. Good luck. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. 
You know, Corey, it's always cool to talk to a new bar owner like that. And he's, you know, he's trying to do it right. And his note said he's using Esri Data, which is the same data service I use and stuff. But it's scary to go into a business without knowing those kind of cost structures. And, and you know, people in a production business know they can't spend, you know, 105% <laughs> on anything. So right. I'm, I'm glad he had that conversation with me. And he sounds like uh, uh, he got it. I hope he does because managing those three things is going to be the difference between his success and his failure. So please, if you're opening a new business, if you've got a strategy or a plan and you want to be challenged, send a note to me at podcast at johntaffer.com. That's podcast at johntaffer.com. And you can be on the podcast with me, and I hope you do, because there's nothing I like more than your calls. I'll be right back. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Well, that does it for this week's No Excuses podcast. Next week, I'm really excited. Piff the Magic Dragon is my guest. Piff is an amazing entertainer, really dynamic guy, but his success story is worth hearing. So I'll talk to you all next week. Remember, no excuses. Okay, I got a personal favor to ask you. Corey, I don't ask for many favors, do I? No. Well, I think this is an important one. I need you to hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts, go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app, and you'll get your new episodes of No Excuses every Tuesday morning. Why wouldn't you do that, Corey? I don't know. Neither do I. So, go do it. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on podcastone.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. Pros like you know trusted brands have a hand in helping you nail the job. Start with Lowe's where you'll find those brands and savings too. Stop in today and pick up a new Metabo HPT 1 and 3 quarter inch 15 degree pneumatic roofing nailer for 20 bucks less. Now $269. And get a new DeWalt Tough Grip 52 piece steel hex shank screwdriver bit set for just $14.98, saving you 5 bucks. For even more ways Lowe's saves your business money, stop by the Pro Desk and talk to our dedicated pro team today. Whatever you need to get the job done, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 11-6 US only.